All right, I'm going to tell you the truth, okay? The truth is, when we asked them if they wanted to speak for five minutes, they were all like, yeah, totally. And then we said, okay, but you got to do a little dance for the intro video. And they were like, I'm out. I don't want to do that. We forced them. So if that was awkward and embarrassing for them, it's my fault, okay? Hey, Five for Five Sunday is this. I know that very often you guys hear me talk on Sunday as the pastor, and you think to yourself, bro, what do you know? You don't work in my job. You don't have my kids. You don't have to deal with my husband, okay? I get all of that. And you wonder, can I really appreciate what it's like to be a normal Christian out in the world today? I get that. And so Five for Five is our opportunity to hear from five people that normally sit in a seat just like you on Sunday morning. We've asked them to craft a five-minute talk for you. I'm not even gonna call it a message or a sermon because that's too much pressure. We're gonna call it a five-minute talk. And many of them have crafted like a traditional Bible study. They're going to read a passage and they're going to help you to understand what it means and why it would be important and how your life could be better if you were to apply these scriptures. Some of them are going to be sharing their testimony, their personal story. And I've heard all of their talks already. Let me tell you something. Some of these stories are raw. Like one of the things that I appreciate about them is their honesty and their transparency. You're going to hear them talk and you're going to say, oh, if I had a microphone in my hand, I would never tell somebody those kind of details about my life. But you know, the reason that they're doing this is because we strive to create a church where it's okay to not be okay. You can come in on Sunday mornings. You can take off the mask. You don't need an Instagram filter in order to belong here, okay? You can show up with all the messiness of your life and know that God loves you and he has a good plan for you. And so we're going to get really involved today, okay? You're going to get more involved this Sunday than you have ever been at a church service in your entire life. We want them to feel like they are crushing it, killing it, doing an incredible job. So when they come on stage, we're going to clap and cheer and hoot and holler like T-Swift just walked on the stage, okay? Like we're gonna let them know that we're excited to hear from them. When they make a joke, oh, you guys, this is gonna be the funniest joke you ever heard, okay? Netflix comedy special level stuff, okay? When they make a point, it's gonna be the wisest, most profound thing you ever heard. You're gonna say amen and preach and that's right and retweet and whatever the kids are saying these days, right? You're gonna let them know that you appreciate what they're doing because it takes a lot of guts, to get on stage in front of a room full of strangers. Can I tell you, it takes even more guts to get on stage in a room full of your friends and family and to talk about your faith. So we wanna be the most supportive crowd that we possibly can because I guarantee you this, they are going to be a real blessing to you, okay? So what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to introduce you to the speakers. I'm just going to read their names. We're going to applaud and cheer. And then when we see them come on stage, we're going to do the same thing again in a moment. I'm not going to be in between each speaker, emceeing, transitioning, or whatever. We're just going to go five minutes, five minutes, five minutes, five minutes. We're going to keep it turning over great. And I I really think you guys are going to enjoy this format, okay? So let's make some noise for our first speaker, Patrobus Adewumi. How about Chelsea Funk? Noel DC, Jason Moore, and the newly married Thomas Oldreeve. Oh, guys, I can't wait to get started, so let's not delay it any longer. Make some noise for my man, Patrobus Adewumi. Good morning, Connect. Awesome. Have you ever found yourself thinking, life doesn't make sense right now? 
Or why is this happening to me? I know I sometimes have these thoughts, and maybe you're here today, you have those thoughts, or you know someone who is having those thoughts. Today, I want to talk about what to do when life makes no sense. Because uh, don't we have those moments sometimes? Um, there was a time in my life when I was feeling sad, empty, depressed, and overall just at a low point of my life. And I prayed to God and, and prayed, and I felt God led me to the book of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 uh, and 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and it will make your path straight. Yeah. Now, I know some of you guys, maybe that grew up in church, know this verse, and you were like, oh, yeah, that's cool. I know it. That's, and you were probably repeating it as I was saying it as well. And, you know, it was really cool, but I wasn't really sure what this verse meant for me practically. But somehow, it led me to going back to joining a team at church and volunteering. And when I look back at this moment in my life, one of the greatest blessings that I experienced uh, from my trust and obedience in God's word, among many other blessings, was meeting my wife. Um, Thank you, thank you, thank you. She was the very first person that I spoke to when I went back and joined the team. Boy, am I glad I trusted God on that one, eh? Um, a great example of trusting God in the face of uncertainty is the widow of Zarephath in the book of 1 Kings 17. Um, this story talks about a time in the land when there was drought and famine, and Elijah finds this widow while she was gathering the materials to prepare the last meal for herself and her son that they would have before they would die, because that's all they had left. And the next thing that happens is kind of shocking and maybe would make you a little angry. Elijah tells this woman, you know the little you have? Make a meal for me instead. It tells her that if you make me this meal, God is going to bless you and give you provision for the duration of this drought. And I don't know about you, but my first response would be, are you kidding me? Like, seriously, this is, this is the last thing I have. I know some parents are struggling to get their kids to share chicken nugget, and it's not a last meal they have. But unlike my first response, and maybe some of us here today, the widow trusted God and obeyed God and trusted God with the little she had. What is it that God is asking you to trust him with today? Is it your marriage, your relationship, your finances, your career, whatever that is. See, years ago when I was going through a difficult time, um, my wife and I were going through a difficult time that tested our faith. And we felt God ask us to write in our convictions, the, the things that we believe about who God is, what his love means to us. And this was to help us whenever we're going through situations and, and circumstances. And some of those were God is good no matter what. He's, he's a good father and provider. He'll make everything work together for our good, amongst many others. This is to help remind us whenever we're going through those situations about who God is. See, when going through life challenges, I often remind myself, I never want to look back and wish I trusted God more. Because when I look back and see how God came through for me in every moment when I needed it, one thing is abundantly clear. God is faithful and he can be trusted. However, however, that's good. Trusting God, trusting God doesn't mean we're not going to go through difficulties. It doesn't mean we're not going to go through challenges in life. Even after receiving the blessing of provision, we see later in the story that the widow lost her son. How could this happen? I'm sure some of us have experienced breakthrough in one thing only to be faced with yet another challenge, another pain. Why God, you may ask, why did you bring me through this thing only to bring me here to another pain, another question about your love for me, about who you are? The beautiful thing is we have an assurance that he's always with us and he'll make everything work for our good. 
And in the case of the widow, we see in the story that God brought back her son to life. And the reality is not all of us would have this experience. And my question for you is, can you trust God's wisdom in these situations when the outcome we desire doesn't match with the reality of our experiences? Um, three things that help me trust God in the middle of life challenges. To make it easy, I've used three C's so you know you can remember. Convictions, communion, and community. What are your convictions? Who do you believe God to be? Write those things down. Who is God to you and your family, in your finances, in, in your relationships, whatever that is? Because when those situations and circumstances come, and they will, the enemy will try to lie to you. But you can go back to your notes and say, oh, actually, no, God is faithful. And what is your communion like? How do you spend time with God? What's your devotion like? Are you, are you, do you prefer to spend time in worship or prayer or joining? Whatever that is for you, you need to spend time in communion with God because in this is how you get to know him. And to know him is to trust him. You need to stay connected in a faith-filled community like Connect Church, like the Connect groups that we have running. Because when the situations come, you have a family to lean on for strength. Though I walk through fire, yet will I trust him. Though I know not what to do, yet will I trust him. Though my finances are not where I want, yet will I trust him. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, yet will I trust him. Okay, so this morning I want to share with you something God convicted me of a few years ago, and that is the sin of passivity. So basically, if we do not live with the intentionality of fighting sin in our life, we have, in a sense, sidelined ourselves. So my question is, are we actively sinning by being passive? Back in 2019, God called me as a missionary to a small island off of Panama. This base was off the grid, boat access only, and ran off solar power and rainwater. And so in that environment, a lot of challenges arose, and the most difficult for me were the termite swarms that came. <laughs> um, so we had been warned they'd be arriving in June, but when that first black cloud came flying towards me over the horizon, I was just filled with dread. Yeah. Uh, a fun fact I learned in Panama was that once a year, these termites grow wings, they fly to find a new place to live, and uh, apparently our house looked like their perfect new home. <laughs> and so uh, we tried to seal off our house as best we could, but many of them made their way through the cracks, and we spent hours trying to kill and eradicate all these termites. Because um, the thing is, while one termite is small and maybe can't do much damage, when you have a ton of little creatures attacking you at once, the impact can be catastrophic. Yeah, right. So another challenge that came in Panama was the isolation. And something that isolation is great at is exposure. And so my time on this island away from the distractions of daily life became one where God began to expose a lot of what I had been um, distracting myself from and escaping for years. And so this started a couple weeks in when God asked me to do a seven-day fast. I knew it was going to be tough, but it also filled me with hope. Because for over a decade, I had been struggling with a weakness, a sin that I had fought and felt like I would never be free from. And that was that I was living in this cycle of binging and restricting food. And so as I began this fast, hope stirred in my heart that just maybe God was actually going to use it to set me free. And you guys, he did. It was amazing. <laughs> uh, I was so relieved. 
Um, but the thing is, it wasn't from some miraculous encounter during those days, but by God revealing to me that I didn't have to instantly gratify the desires of my flesh. I could walk by the spirit with discipline and self-control and choose to turn to God rather than food or other comforts and escapes when I was struggling. And so the joy and freedom I felt after this huge burden was lifted off of me was amazing. I was more than satisfied to just leave things right there. But God wasn't finished yet. Instead, what followed those seven days of fasting were another seven days, or rather nights, of the Holy Spirit waking me up and listing off all of the other sin I'd been allowing in my life. The conviction of unforgiveness, bitterness, lies I had told in self-preservation, laziness, and the moments I had known God had asked me to do something, but I put it off and never got around to it. The fact that delayed obedience is disobedience. So here I was excited to be set free of this one large sin that had burdened me for years. And God was like, Chelsea, while your eyes and your energy were focused on this one thing that seemed biggest to you, all of these other little sins that you minimize, justify, and excuse did not go unnoticed by me. Just like those termites, while one may seem small and insignificant, in a swarm they can cause great destruction. Some sins may seem small and insignificant to us, but left unaddressed, a life filled with little sins, even just one, will damage both your relationship with God and others. And so are we passive about our sin? Are we focused on merely avoiding the big ones, whichever those may be, while we minimize, justify, and ignore the seemingly insignificant ones that can actually cause greater damage? Is sin something we see as a pet to be tamed, or an infestation that needs to be completely eradicated from our lives. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. What sin clings closely in your life? Hebrews 12 goes on to say, My child, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord or lose heart when you are punished by him, for the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. God is treating you as children. And verse 10 goes on to say, But he disciplines us for our good in order that we may share his holiness. And in 14, that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Passivity itself is a sin because it allows other sin to flourish in our lives. God's discipline is difficult, but should also be something we delight in. Just like good human fathers will discipline their children out of love and protection, so God is a loving father who wants to guard us from what he knows will hurt us. And so exposing our sin and giving us the opportunity to repent is a gift because it allows us to share in his holiness, to, it restores our intimacy with God, which as believers should be our heart's greatest desire. And so I just want to end by saying those nights in Panama, while painful, also filled me with gratitude at the amount of grace and patience God had shown me. You know, all those small sins I'd been passive about, he had seen yet had remained so faithful. However, in his love, he couldn't let me live in passivity forever. And so this morning, I want to challenge you. Are you open for God to expose the sin you are allowing in your life? Do you see sin as something that needs to be eradicated? And are you willing to kill every single small termite that eats away at your relationship with God? If so, I want to encourage you to step out of your passivity, ask and pray to God to expose the areas of your life you need to repent. And when he does, first know you are already forgiven in Christ, that it's through the power of the spirit that you will be able to walk in freedom and then find a fellow believer who you trust that you can share with, who will pray for you and hold you accountable so that you can actually live in the freedom that Christ died to give you. So good. Yeah.
Today, I boast about my weaknesses because I know the power it has for Christ to work through me. How many of you have been too afraid to talk about your emotions because you've been called weak? How many of you are just too afraid to tell another person what is wrong with you because of the fear of being judged or called less than or broken? Well, if you haven't, I have, and I go through this regularly. I usually, or sometimes in the past, I used to say emotion was kind of ghetto. So I didn't used to talk about my emotion. I used to take pride in not being overly feminine, so I didn't want to talk about being or having emotion. I used to want to show up to spaces as being perfect because that is what I was told to do. But I no longer do that. And God revealed this to me when I read 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9 when he said, his grace is all I need and he is made perfect in my weakness. He also revealed to me that when I am weak, I am also strong. It didn't make sense to me, but he revealed it to me during Freedom Group. I also didn't want to join Freedom Group, but one of the lead pastors convinced me. So I'm going to share a little testimony on how he revealed this to me. A few months ago, I walked into this church with a smile that could light up any room. But then that smile was a facade of what I was really going through. And I just didn't understand at the time, but I came into church looking for help. And I was walking to my car. I was going to leave. And then um, I just felt this holy urge that I needed to turn back around. And if I didn't turn back around, I knew that was going to be my last week here. And I just, I turned back around. And there's a woman in this church she doesn't know, but she did save my life that day. She took the time to pray over me and she covered me. She just related to my story. And then that was it. I cried for the first time in front of someone. I had never done that because I was always told that crying was manipulation and it showed weakness. So, but then I decided that that was not the path I was going to take. I opened myself up. Later on that day, one of the lead pastors called me because it was group link week. I didn't know that at the time because it was the first time I was in this church. And she convinced me to join Freedom Group. I am so glad I took her up on that offer because the fastest prayers I have ever received have been because of the women I found in Freedom Group. They prayed over me and they covered me in that group. And so now I am so glad I boast about my weaknesses because every time that I have, it has allowed God to just work through me. There is no addiction that has been too big. There is no trauma that has been too much for me. God has shown up every single time that I opened up about what I was going through. So let's talk about it. I know that it is very easy to not talk about what you're going through. I know that the despair seems so big for you to carry by yourself. I know that sometimes it is just easier to be quiet about the emotions because people will tell you that you're less than or people will tell you that you're broken but you are not broken. So I just came here to give you that calling that God is trying to remind you that there is no pride in being put together. There is no pride in just showing up as something that you're not. You are allowed to show up exactly and authentically because that is what he wants from you. He needs you to just show up and pray to him, seek him because he needs all of that. So when I say that the smiles that I have now are the authentic ones because he reminds us that our sins 
do not make up who we are. He does not condemn us and he will not condemn you. He called me Emmanuel because he wants to remind me that he is with me. And so he wants to also tell you that he is with you. So that is why I came up today to say all of this. He also wanted to tell you that he would not abandon you. So whatever it is that you're going through, he has not abandoned you. He wants to also tell you that he does not change. Every promise that he has given you, he wants to say that he would not abandon all of that. Join a freedom group if that is has not been an option because he wants to release you from whatever financial struggles, whatever addiction, the medical diagnosis that it seems too big for you to carry by yourself. He wants to tell you that you don't have to carry it by yourself. He wants to give you people that will comfort you whenever you think that you have to carry it all on your own. He wants to shed light onto that situation. He does not want you to feel like you have to do it on your own anymore. There is no situation that is too big for God. He wants to keep reminding you that that is all that he's going to do. So this is a call to just seek God and he will find you exactly where you need him. Thank you. God wants you no matter what. Ecclesiastes 1.9 says that what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Murder, adultery, prostitution, dismemberment, Satan's stumbling block for Jesus, feeding family honey from a dead animal carcass, betrayal, denial, breaking vows. Not really attributes that you would consider for a good Christian role model, right? Right. However, these are actual things attributed to three of my heroes in the Bible. Three men who were instrumental in God's work in the Bible and in providing God's message to us today. Samson, called by God to help free the Israelites from the Philistines, literal superhero. King David killed Goliath, founded the Judean dynasty, and united all the tribes of Israel under a single monarch, was an ancestor of Jesus, in addition to writing some of the most beautiful and comforting passages in the Bible. Peter, one of the three pillars of the church, a personal friend of Jesus, literally walked on water. And these guys could hardly stop messing up. They made the same mistake over and again. Whenever I think about Peter and Jesus, I cannot help but think that Jesus must have prayed for patience and sighed a lot (laughs) when dealing with Peter. He had Satan work directly through him. He chopped off somebody's ear and failed to maintain faith repeatedly despite being in the physical presence of Jesus. Samson went out of his way to go against the grain. Prostitutes, heathens. Oh, hey, mom and dad, would you like some of this delicious honey I found? King David murdered somebody to steal their wife because he got her pregnant. These are the kinds of guys we warn our children to stay away from. (laughs) We come to church to try to learn how to not be like these guys. But these are the guys that God specifically chose to use. Out of millions and billions of people throughout the ages, God specifically said, Samson, David, Peter, I have some things for you to do. And despite their many, many faults, these guys went against all kinds of odds to follow God and do his will. Beauty in song and verse. Strength and courage beyond easy comprehension. Loyalty and devotion until death. Yeah. 
Now, these are the kinds of attributes that we should be encouraging in our lives and those around us. There is one big reason why these guys are my heroes. It would be hard to mess up worse than they did, but despite that, God specifically and deliberately chose them. There are several other common traits attributed to these three struggling guys that are also worthy of hero status. A willingness to acknowledge mistakes, humility to recognize that they were weak, and courage to step up in challenging situations. One of God's truths that Satan twists for his purpose is our uniqueness. God says we are special and unique creations, fearfully and wonderfully made, knowingly knit together in our mother's womb. Satan lies and twists that and says our sin and ugliness are unique and that maybe, just maybe, beyond forgiveness and certainly beyond the limit for what God can use and what people around us could forgive and accept. But that is the lie. God truly wants you for his great purpose, no matter what. There are no sins that we can take to God that he will not forgive. There are no sins that we can commit today that, God, that have not already been committed countless times before. But more importantly, there are no sins that God cannot and will not forgive us for. There are no sins that are beyond God's love, mercy, or grace because he promises that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God made these promises to forgive my wretchedness and your wretchedness because he wants us no matter what. Do not let the lies from the father of lies keep you away from God because you are afraid that he will not want you, forgive you, or use you for his incredible purpose. He wants you no matter what. And if he can use me, have no doubt that he can use you. Raise your hand if you're waiting for an answer from God this morning. Sorry, I have to show off the ring. (laughs) Even if you aren't waiting this morning, I'm sure you have in the past. And whether it's a job or a relationship or a partner or a friend or something completely different, waiting feels like a bit of a rite of passage for most Christians. Like God is trying to haze us into the faith or something like that. And while that's probably a little bit of a stretch, patience is definitely something that God calls us to focus on. Um, Galatians 5.22 outlines the fruit of the Spirit, and that's uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And patience, at least for me, and I'm sure a lot of you guys can agree, is one of the hardest fruits to develop because you can really only develop it through practice and experience. So while waiting may be a challenging and uncomfortable place to be, the Bible gives us a few tips on how we can deal with these seasons when they come around. The first thing the Bible says is, be humble. First Peter 5, 6 says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Yeah. Humility makes sure that our plans don't get in the way of God's. And in every decision that you make, think, am I doing this because I want to, or I think I should, or because I truly believe God is calling me to do so? Yeah. My biggest piece of advice when it comes to fostering humility, if that's something you struggle with, I know it is something that uh, hits me every once in a while, is to find a humility partner or group. That can be a friend, uh, a 
maybe your wife. Uh, <laughs> that's mine for sure. <laughs> and it's actually funny at my at my bachelor party a few weeks ago, my my friends asked me, you know, what, what's the one thing about Julianne that uh, above all else is why you love her? Like, what what's the one thing that you learned about her that you noticed about her that just you were like, yeah, she's the one. And without hesitation, I said, she humbles me. <laughs> and it, it's true. <laughs> she's so brutally honest with me sometimes when I try to let my own plans take over God's plans for my life. Um, that she really just straight up tells me, Thomas, come on, that's not what you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> and and that compass really has been uh, invaluable to me as I've uh, worked through a bunch of different waiting seasons together. The second thing the Bible tells us to do is to be still. Psalm 37, 7 says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways when they carry out their wicked schemes. This is one I struggle with a lot because I'm a solver. If there's a problem, all I'm thinking about is who and what and where and why and how I'm going to solve that problem. But God calls us into a much more dependent mode of problem solving, one that doesn't rely on our own knowledge and our own effort, but on his. The second part of this verse, which I think a lot of people gloss over, is uh, do not fret when people succeed in their ways. It's a warning about falling into a comparison trap in these waiting seasons. Uh, I personally also struggle with this one. Uh, Currently, I'm going through a bit of a quarter-life crisis. Now, the script says a bit, but if you know me, it's a lot of a quarter-life crisis. (laughs) And I'm uh, I'm trying to shift my career in a bit of a different direction. Um, And it's been hard because looking around, you see old classmates and you see friends, you know, getting the dream job, starting businesses, uh, getting into their dream program at school and and restarting their career. But through all of this, what I've learned the most is that it's obvious that I have some development to do when it comes to my identity and where I put my worth, which needs to be in God and not how I compare to others. And that's the key to all of this. God doesn't call us to be humble and be still as in, just sit around and do nothing and don't think about anything. He calls us to be humble in, you know, being willing to give up our own plans and our own thoughts to his and to be still as in listening and drawing near to him when he calls us. So that whenever we want to progress in any area of life, whether it's work, relationships, finances, whatever the case may be, we're progressing towards his plan for us. Obviously that's easier said than done. (laughs) So a verse that really puts it into perspective for me is Galatians 4.4, which says, but when the time set had fully come, God sent his son. When the time set had fully come, God sent his son. Even God had to wait for the perfect timing to send Jesus to save us. And if God waited for the perfect moment to conduct the most important event in all of history, we can wait for the perfect moment for him to change our lives. Thank you. One more time. Let's make some noise for all of those five for five speakers. Wasn't that incredible? Wow. All right. Maybe I just need to turn over all the services from here on out to you guys. You just want to come on staff? I'll hire all of you. I don't know. That was really, really good. Here's what I'm convinced of. Each one of those messages spoke to someone in the room. 
There was a, a moment, there was a scripture, there was a point that was made that was for you. Now I'm hoping that you had the ears to hear it in the moment. And I'm trusting that those of you that did hear, you made some kind of decision as a response, a decision to submit and surrender to God, a decision to trust some aspect of your life with him, maybe to place your faith and trust in him. If you've made a faith decision today because of the things that you've heard and seen, would you tell us about it? I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand and stand up or anything. All you have to do is take that connection card that's right there in the seat back in front of you. On the bottom of that card is a place to mark. Maybe you started a relationship with God or restarted your faith for the first time in a long time. We want to know about it so we can pray for you, celebrate with you. And if there's any way we can help you in the coming days, we want to be there for you. So please take a moment and mark that off. Now, another thing that you can do is if one of these messages truly spoke to you, you're almost certainly going to see these speakers out in the lobby. They're not going to run away. They're going to hang out a little bit. I know how it is. When you when you hit a home run, you want to stick around and just hear that it was good. So if one of them said something that truly struck home with you, would you just briefly find them in the lobby and say, I want you to know that was for me. I don't know who else that was for in the audience, but I needed to hear that today. That'll help them to, to not be in the performance mindset. Did I, did I say everything I wanted to say? Did I stay on time? Did I stay on track? That'll remind them that God was using them today and bearing eternal fruit. So that's a way that you can help them and serve them. 